We are discussing the book, People of Vision, A History of the American Council of the Blind by James J. and Marjorie L. McGivern, M-C-G-I-V-E-R-N. And it is a book that is available in several ways, several formats. Uh, If you purchase the $25 uh, thumb drive, which I did, um, you will get each chapter separately. You will get the BRF total book and the DOC total book, which um, I like the, the doc because then you can look up information and you can figure out whose names are spelled which way. Um, And you can copy paste things. So one thing that I did this morning was I took the doc and put it in my Braille Sense Polaris. Um, So that is really helpful as well. So last week we talked let, about... Let me talk a little bit more about that book before you right. move on. Okay, go ahead, Larry. Um, also included on that thumb drive is the actual BARD version of the book. So if you don't have it downloaded from BARD, it is already on the card. Now, the issue currently is it has been quite a while since anybody has actually ordered that book on thumb drives. I talked to Carla this morning, and she said, don't call an order yet she will call me next week because she what she has to do is update the cards um, oh. she has the MasterCard updated but she doesn't know in what state the rest of the cards that she has are in until she actually looks at them to see what's on them so she wants to make sure that everything that she says is there is, is there, there. so it. a week from now or so hopefully by the time we meet next week I'll have received a call from her and I can let you know more but don't hold off so far. So, as Larry said, it is available on Bard, um, and it's also available in Bookshare. So we're all over the place. The sad thing is, when you look for the American Council of the Blind, that's the only book we have. Um, so, for those of you who are history buffs, for those of you who uh, are writers. This is your opportunity to update the history uh, because the history of the American Council of the Blind, this is the first 40 years, and we've been in existence for a lot longer than that. Um, My brain can't uh, calculate, but... Another 20. Yeah. Yeah. Another 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot has happened since then. So, um, I guess before we get started, I'd like to know if anyone new is on this call. And if you are, please raise your hand so I can know who you are. If you're new, you didn't come on last week. It was 760 and ending in. Eight seven nine. Ah, Linda. Good morning. 
Hi, Linda. I'm so happy you're here. And last week we asked people, you know, kind of um, how long they've been in uh, ACB. I know you're CCB because you're in my chapter. (laughs) Well, not mine, but I'm president. Um, um, But how long have you been in any movement of the of the blind? And uh, what's your interest? What would you hope to receive from being in this group? Well, I believe that, you know, when we look at history, history repeats itself and some history we hope doesn't repeat itself. I've been in the organization. I started out in the 90s, um, then left for a while because I went to school and I got a full-time job and was raising a family. So um, now I'm back. And I would just hope to um, glean from the history so that, and, and history helps us understand why we do things the way we do. So um, I'm new back again, and, I, and I'm kind of new, so I just want to learn um, how things are now versus how things were, um, you know, back in the 40s and 50s Um, and the other part of it is that we need ACB and and affiliates because um, we need to be good advocates and good stewards of what we have and be able to keep what we have so that's my main goal is to learn and to help preserve what we already have Jane Corona. Hi. Um, my goodness. Hi. It's been a long time. <laughs> Candle in the window. Yes. Several yes. years ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Um, so I missed last week. I had another commitment and I was really so sorry to, to miss um, this, this call because history always fascinates me. I've been a member of ACB since probably 1980. Um, and I've been involved with several affiliates as probably their treasurer. I'm treasurer of everything. Um, <laughs> so that's my thing. Um, I love tracking things and, okay. and being behind the scenes and helping out where I can. So, um, and it's always fun to network with other people. So, uh, I was really pleased when I saw this call that everybody who's interested in the book and, you know, interested in ACB can just network and, and learn from each other. And I read the book a long time ago, but since I'm in five book clubs, I, I really don't have time to read it again. So, uh, but it was a good book. <laughs> well, I really hope that you do. We're going to only be reading a chapter a week. So um, maybe I can do that. I, I think, think I can so. do that. So now um, I recognize Don Queen. Yes. Yes. Don. Yeah. I've been, since 1955, I think I've been to the CCB, so it's been a little while. And um, <clears throat> I just dropped in. I just came across this this morning. And <laughs> okay. And have I, you ever have you read the book, Don? No, I have not. I didn't oh, know. Oh my goodness! So. Uh, that that's so. I just happened to be going down the agenda this morning because I have some other meetings, and um, <clears throat> I've been 
I know that Kathy Skyvers was always pushing us to write a history. I'm glad somebody's started it. I don't know if you'd if you've gotten both sides of the uh, Civil War or, or not, but uh, I'd be interested in reading it. Yeah. Yeah. So this book covers um, the first forty years, but it 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 actually is a pretty in depth book. It covers a lot. Um, and, um, any other raised hands? Uh, yes, we have Carrie's iPhone. Hi, this is Carrie out of Fort Worth. And I've been involved with ACB for all of three months. Oh my goodness. Welcome. And so I am a true believer. If I'm going to be involved in an organization, I need to know the history and understand the foundation of it. And that's really what caught my interest on this. And I am sorry I missed last week. I, I had a prior commitment. But I'm really interested in seeing, um, you know, where the foundation and everything lays. Fantastic. Well, um, when Larry's finished editing um, the last week's um, first session, then we will be able to um, make sure people can catch up um, but basically, it it was just kind of talking about a little bit about the history, a little bit about the um, the table of contents. So um, you have not missed a whole lot, okay? Well, thank you. Uh-huh. And welcome aboard. Thank you again. Anyone else? Don Worth. Don. Yes. Um, I mentioned earlier before the call got started that uh-huh. I've had this book on my shelf for a long time and I haven't read it, but then I saw this and saw this as the opportunity to delve into it and maybe get even more out of the book through the discussion. I brailed out, uh, you know, as I said that I brailed out last week's. Um, has Was anybody able to read the front matter of the book? Oh, no. uh, Chanel has her hand up. I yeah. didn't see, since I had to leave early, all that. Anyway, I did not really figure out what we were supposed to read until like yesterday. So I have read part of it. I didn't realize that um, there was an introduction. So I got through the preface and, uh-huh. you know, everything up until the introduction. But it just makes me more curious, more questions and answers. And sometimes you just think of little inconsequential, inconsequential questions like, um, you know, were James and Marjorie McGiven uh, blind or low vision or did um, and how did they, you know, were they able to get the information from Derwood McDaniel's book? And it sounds it's very intriguing. And I wonder, you know, I'd be curious to know what their views of um, just more about the split and why it happened. So that's, I guess, what I'm curious about. So um, they actually don't give their views um, it's a pretty historical um, text. Um, they they have pretty good uh, descriptions of um, of the actions of people. Um, James and Marjorie were cited. I believe they are both gone. Um, somebody correct me if you know 
Um, um, I was hoping that I'd get some people like Bernice Kandarian and Roger Peterson, um, who are uh, very, very um, <laughs> steeped in the history. And um, other, I don't even know who else might be. Um, if anyone remembers or knows things, um, please raise your hand, okay? Okay, we do have a hand raised, Go by ahead. the way. Uh, uh -huh. 501 is the first three digits, and 248, I believe that's uh, Sandy. Um, I've been in ACB since the early 80s, um, 83, but 84 was my first convention. And I don't, remember, I don't remember exactly how long I was in ACB before then, but... Um, I've heard a lot of this stuff um, over the years that it comes up in general sessions and it comes up at banquets and stuff. And it, the split happened in 1961. The um, NFB convention was in, I believe, Kansas City that year. And I don't remember what the how the rift started. It might have been brewing for several years before that. I really don't remember. Oh, yes. But we'll they, cover that in chapter uh, two. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a smaller, a small group um, that was in NFB, and they got mad because you know it's about the voting that uh, there was too much control on NFB's part for some reason, and so this little faction, this little group. Uh, walked out of the convention and it was it was serious i mean they the nfb people they they wouldn't even let their children play with these with the children of this small group you know they just they wouldn't associate with them they just you know I said well bye good riddance you know don't let the door hit you on the way out you know <laughs> but <clears throat> they walked across the street and started acb um, and I don't even know if any of those people are still around. I know N.J. Schmidt was one of them, and she died recently within the past year. Right. Uh, Kathy Skivers is gone, and she that right. hasn't been very long ago. Um, I, believe I, that Roger, I believe that Roger and Bernice were a part of it. Uh, they may have been, uh, and they're still... I know Roger is. He's, yep, he's they're still both. With us. Yep. Okay. I didn't know about Bernice. I, oh, yeah. Um, that may be the only two. I'm not sure. Derwin McDaniel was in on it, but um, and he's gone. In fact, when he met with the, with the McGiverns, uh, they picked him up at the airport here in Little Rock, actually. In 1994, and they were going to go down to a condo in Hot Springs, and you know they were on vacation anyway, so they passed through and and picked him and his the McDaniel's up at the airport and took them down to Hot Springs with them, and they started this book, The People of Vision, and it wasn't too long after that. I think about six weeks. The book says where when. Um, 
Derwood <clears throat> passed away. And they said that, you know, there was one uh, statement in the in the introduction that uh, alluded to he may have had premonitions of some sort that he didn't have much longer, and he wanted the history on paper. So that's basically how this book came to be, and it's, you know, basically how, how ACB came to be. There may be other people that can give you more detailed descriptions of it, but that's, you know, kind of the, the, the start of it. Right, and what is your name? I'm sorry. Sandy Edwards. S Sandy Edwards. Okay, from, thank you. I'm from North Rock, Arkansas. Okay, thank you. The, the preface of this book in the front matter, or actually the forward, kind of gives a little synopsis of basically what happened. It is written by Dean W. Tuttle, Professor Emeritus, University of Northern Colorado. Preface. On a steamy July afternoon in 1994, we picked up Durward and Eileen McDaniel at the airport in Little Rock, Arkansas, and drove them to a timeshare condo near Hot Springs, where we had the opportunity to discuss at length the ACB history project that was so dear to Durward's heart. We had met them on a few previous occasions. Especially significant was the wedding of Jim's sister Kathleen, when Durward stood in for her late father and gave the bride away. Fresh out of college in 1972, she had worked as a secretary for Durward and later became something of a surrogate daughter to the McDaniels since she lived with them while attending law school. After she passed the Washington, D.C. bar, she returned to ACB as staff attorney in 1979 and thus again worked with Durward in that capacity until his retirement in 1981. In early 1994, we received a surprise call from Durward, during which he asked about our availability for writing the history of the ACB, and even though we were both busy with other projects, we were intrigued by the prospect. At the time, we knew just enough about ACB from conversations with Kathy to be interested in hearing more. Durward was a good salesman and presented us with a real challenge. ACB's somewhat stormy past and its record of achievements, legislative and otherwise, that had enriched the lives of so many blind people was obviously a story worth telling. Although we initially said, like the shy young girl to her suitor, this is so sudden, our affirmative answer came after further discussions with Dr. Otis Stevens, who had been named chairman of the History Committee to oversee the project. The only way we could agree to take on the project was as a joint enterprise. Jim was still teaching full-time at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, but my combination of theatrical and journalistic careers left me more flexible. So it was I who undertook the initial research and travel. After a raft of telephone calls, setting up interviews, and getting acquainted with the hierarchy, I went to Durham, North Carolina, only two hours from home, for my first interview. This most historic of my encounters was with the late Marie Boring. In November of 1994, she was still in good health, physically and mentally. She was also candid and cooperative in reviewing with genuine animation the early years of the council of which she had been an important part. Fired up by this auspicious beginning, I set out for California in January 1995 with considerable excitement. 
My first interview there, with Chris Gray in San Jose, was a delightful and comprehensive look at ACB. So were the sessions that followed, with Kathy Skivers, Alan Jenkins, and George Fogarty, as I made my way up the Pacific coast. That California trip stirred my journalistic senses, and the rest is indeed history. My interview list grew to 60, most of them ACB members, with the dramatic exceptions of Kenneth Jernigan and Russell Kletzing. I talked with many of the people on the list more than once. Many were by telephone, several were at annual conventions, and all, with those same two exceptions, were tremendously positive experiences. I was pleased to sit in the homes of Marie Boring, Brad Burson, and Reese Robron, enjoying lengthy and friendly conversations. Everyone, from officers to longtime members in small towns around the country, was pleased at the prospect of getting the history into print, and all were extraordinarily helpful to both of us. We attended conventions and board meetings, absorbed issues of the Braille Forum from its inception to the present, poured over minutes of board meetings dating back more than 30 years. We were privileged to read the invaluable personal letters of Durward and the other ACB leaders, typed words now grown faint on onion-skin paper. When Jim got into the act later in 1995, the work took on a more academic flavor, complete with footnotes. He conducted interviews as well, and researched background material to provide a fuller context for the book. In the actual writing, we focused on different parts, Jim covering a background of blindness and ACB's civil war, while I undertook to try to make sense of legislation, collaborations, and communications like the Washington Connection Hotline in the middle and more recent years of the ACB. Aside from the joy of writing about the life of this invaluable organization, we have treasured the friendships and the many brief encounters with its leaders and members. National conventions have come to seem our own special events, and we rejoice at every victory for blind people that ACB has achieved. The ADA passage, the battle with WMATA, the smaller skirmishes with individuals who suffered discrimination until there was ACB to the rescue. While it is dangerous to single out individuals, we must give special thanks to a few who have gone the second mile in sharing information and insights with us. Charlie Hodge has been a patient and valuable collaborator, replete with an impressive memory and the ability to grasp and explain events, legislation, and programs important to this history. Equally patient and always helpful was Oral Miller, whom I called dozens of times for pieces of information. Kathy McGivern, an integral part of ACB's history as staff member and writer, was also one of its most devoted champions and lent her sharp intellect to ensuring the accuracy of our coverage of important legislative matters. She gave many hours of practical help in editing as well. Of course, the Board of Publications, especially Kim Charlson, was also of tremendous assistance in editing. We are grateful to the History Committee Chairman, Dr. Otis Stevens, for his encouragement and willingness to fill in gaps, and to Leroy Saunders for the many interviews and phone calls he endured so graciously. We are especially blessed to have known Durward McDaniel, even briefly, as the heart and soul of this organization. His special genius was to help build an organization that was strong and effective and able to carry on without his guidance, and that is what we find admirable about ACB. It is not about one individual, but about all the blind people in America who participate in the Council's efforts to lift up and ennoble their lives. We are both happy to have been part of this journey, so now I will hand it over to Jim to add his perspective. Marjorie L. McGivern
One memorable evening in February 1994, our phone rang, and we were surprised to hear the voice of Durward McDaniel asking to have a word with us. He knew that both of us had done a good bit of writing and research, and gently asked if we could be persuaded to write the history of the ACB. Our first reaction was to point out that we were both pretty busy with a variety of activities and responsibilities. I was teaching full-time, and was moreover nearing the completion of a major manuscript on the history of the death penalty that I had been working on for fifteen years. His request, however, was made with a kind of urgency that made it difficult to refuse, so we said, maybe. Nearly six months passed before we were able to get together to discuss what would be involved. We were heading west in August for Anise's wedding, so we arranged to take a few days of vacation in a timeshare near Hot Springs, Arkansas, and Durward and Eileen came up from Austin to join us to talk about the project. They brought with them a precious fireproof file filled with much of Durward's treasured correspondence from the 40s to the 60s, when he was deeply involved in the work of the National Federation of the Blind, until the internal dispute that ultimately led to the formation of the American Council of the Blind in 1961. Little did we realize what an unusual and intriguing story would unfold when that correspondence, so carefully preserved by Durward and Eileen, was taken in sequence. In retrospect, we now appreciate how truly special our short time with the McDaniels was, when we were privileged to share the company of this unusually dedicated couple who had made a significant difference in the lives of thousands of Americans, both blind and sighted. They were in their glory for our few hours together, retelling some of the exciting episodes in which Durward had played a major role. We only gradually came to understand more fully the importance of the events which they first recounted to us. It was a remarkable story that had not been fully told, despite several earlier efforts by Durward that did not work out. Later, we found ourselves regretting that we had not had the foresight to have kept a tape recorder running from start to finish during that visit, especially since it was less than six weeks after we took the McDaniels back to the Little Rock Airport that we received another evening phone call informing us of Durward's death. That was September 6th, 1994, and we have often conjectured that Durward McDaniel had a premonition that his death was near, and that making provisions to have the history of the origins of the ACB written was one of the final chores he dearly wanted to guarantee before passing on. The presence of his unique correspondence collection has been a constant reminder to us of the kind of sacred trust left in our possession, which we simply had to see through to publication, despite a series of unavoidable delays. The neglected story needed to be told if only to ensure that there be a lasting record of an extraordinary chapter in the history of blind Americans— it would truly be a tragic shame if only the inaccurate, partial, distorted accounts of the Civil War survived, but it would be an even greater shame if the documents demonstrating the tremendous talent, the exceptional dedication, and the literary prowess of the people of vision involved in starting the ACB were not made available for the inspiration of future generations. They were ordinary folks with extraordinary abilities and commitment to the democratic process, determined to pursue fairness and fellowship, working with integrity for the benefit of a better society for all people, both blind and sighted. It is for this reason that we made the decision early that the most valuable way for us to tell the story was to let the participants speak for themselves whenever possible. Our conviction was that the more we could preserve of the words of those early actors, the better chance there was of conveying what really went on, especially since the NFB mythological account— 
Floyd Madsen's walking alone and marching together, was already on the market without serious challenge to its revisionist account. So many people were so helpful to us in so many ways at so many stages that there is simply no way to acknowledge properly their multiple contributions. Besides those mentioned by Marjorie above, I would have to add at least the names of Bob Schultz and Patricia Taylor for their special help at different times in keeping us moving forward in the difficult middle period when we were not at all sure we could manage to complete the project. We were also most fortunate in the final stage to benefit from the special talent and expertise of Michelle Gitlin in readying the manuscript for printing, and of Paul Burt at First Books Library in guiding us through the final phase. We would also like to thank the entire staff of the National ACB Office in Washington, D.C., with a special word of appreciation for the help of Anne Fesch, who did not live to see the project completed, but who did more than her part during our visits and calls while she was on the job. Another thank you must go to Gerald and Geraldine Pye of Georgia, who gave us access to the important papers of Walter R. MacDonald at just the right time. But more than to anyone else, my own special thanks must go to Marjorie. Our different work styles, writing styles, and schedules made for some difficult days in our eight years of collaboration on the manuscript, but she stayed the course with determination despite some stormy weather. At this point, we are both much relieved in realizing that we have been graced with the energy, the good health, and the support required to see it through to a satisfying, if somewhat belated, conclusion. Our mutual hope is that the result may not fall too far short of what Durward McDaniel had in mind when he first made that rash phone call, challenging us to give it a try. However unworthy of him, we nonetheless join in dedicating this volume to his memory, hopeful that others may become more aware of his integrity and achievements first as a giant of the original National Federation of the Blind, and later as the chief founder of the American Council of the Blind. May the latter organization continue to strive to live up to his democratic ideals and humane principles. James J. McGivern, January 2003 Hey, Linda S. Linda? Hi. Um, Hi. So I don't like to dwell on the negative. I'm glad that this book was written in such a positive manner. I haven't read the whole book yet, but what I do want to for people to know is that back in the day, blind people were institutionalized. We were abused. We were kept down by our family members. And that's why, one of the reasons why I believe this book is important and the movement, the ACB movement needs to keep happening because we're only maybe a few steps away from that happening again. So this, this is why this book is so important and why we need to keep going. That's my belief. Thank you. And culturally, um, it's still happening in many countries throughout the world. Yes, definitely. Especially in third world countries. Yes. Because I was in one of them doing a film, and I couldn't believe all the stuff that was happening that was normal to them. They, they hadn't seen a blind person out and about in, in years. Because the way it was, was you were institutionalized, families took care of you, and you were never seen as a blind person, this was in Vietnam and in, and in China, and this was several years ago, but it's still the same. It's still basically the same. Can I make one more comment? Yes. Um, so I 
uh, was pen pals with someone in Nigeria. And he, this was several years ago, he related to me that his father was very upset and actually had people out to kill him um, and because they didn't want the stigma of having a blind child in their family and they also wanted to kill the mom for having um, a, a blind child and he was in a school for the blind I believe in Lagos um, and trying to you know hide out so that his father wouldn't discover where he was so this was probably in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s that I was pen pals with him and the thing was that I have a friend who is a cab driver in San Diego who was Nigerian from Nigeria and he um, we gathered a bunch of stuff together and he went to Nigeria and took him braille paper, a slate and stylus. Um, we even got a cassette recorder for him. So um, hopefully he's doing okay. I haven't heard for many years how he has been, but I think about him often. Thank you. Okay, Christy, um, uh-huh. Chanel Allen had her hand up and then she put it down. Chanel, if you want to speak, you want to raise your hand up again? Hello. I just, I, I thought, I thought about saying something and I changed my mind. So no, but this is a good discussion. And I do wonder, you know, we are, so what would it take for us to slip back into, I, you know, you don't want to dwell on that, but we have gained much progress, but then in some ways we haven't because there are people still, even in our country or in quote-unquote civilized countries who think the blind should be, you know, not seen at all out. I, if, you know, you hear stories about that or just how you see encounter people all the time who are even surprised that we can read or do this or do that. So um, it's how far have we really come? <laughs> there we go. I'm done. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. We have um, a phone number. Oh. Go ahead. We have a phone number, 518, and it ends in 517. Go ahead, and who are you? This is Mary Beth. And, I'm Mary Beth. Um, I, hi. I think Chanel's right about that. You know, actually, at this moment in New York State, there's a bill that's under consideration that basically is designed to secure the rights of blind parents from having their children taken away from them. So, I mean, the fact that that bill is introduced here and and similar bills have been passed in recent years, you know, in other states, says that, you know, we're not so far from that. Um, and I guess the other thing that I just wanted to quickly say is that, that you know, um, uh, one of my good friends was M.J. Schmidt, who was, in you know, involved in a lot of this stuff. And I think just for, for me, you know, this – this was such, even even years and years later, this whole thing was uh, such an emotional, it wasn't just about, you know, blindness, and it was, you know, this stuff was was 
very difficult to hammer out. It costs people a lot. Um, you know, friends and, you know, close relationships, you know, all this stuff. It was, it was, um, it was a tough part of the whole history of, you know, you know, coming together was tough. Breaking apart was tough. Forming ACV was tough. It was, it, it, it took a lot. And I think that that's one of the things that this book shows. Thank you. Yes, most definitely. Now, I want to comment on what Chanel said. Being 68 years old and having been in the movement since I was 18 years old, uh, I see how far we've come and I see how fast we can slip backwards because uh, people are, first of all, people don't want to join. Secondly, people don't want to volunteer. And thirdly, people don't realize what they have, how hard people had to work for it, the blood, sweat, and tears, and how quickly it can be taken away. And it scares me. I, When I talk about it, I start getting palpitations, and I start feeling hot um, because it truly frightens me where we could end up. And this is why it's so important for us to know where we came from, to know where we need to go. And if we don't advocate, if we don't continue to band together, um, we are going to get swallowed up. We are a low incidence population. And because of that, you know, if, if, if a lot of us aren't around and other people don't know how to advocate, any gains that we had are going to be given away. And, and unknowingly, um, well, gosh, I thought that's how it always was. You mean, you mean you guys had to fight to become lawyers and teachers and social workers? You had to fight to have uh, regular wages? You had to fight to be able to get married? You had to fight to be able to adopt children? You had to fight to be able to serve on the jury. You had to fight to be able to ride a bus or buy your house. All of these things are, are things that people take for granted. Any hands? Discuss? Uh, no, there are, are no hands. Um, and and. as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I did at least get through the front matter of the book, but I know I'm normally not supposed to talk. You can. Um, I invite you to. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I agree with, you know, everything you said, you know, how you, how you uh, reported it to everyone. Um, and, you know, I definitely support the idea of this book and, you know, I, I, I agree 
when you read that first chapter about, you know, how blind people were, were treated and some of them maybe still are. So that's my feeling. When I was growing oh, up, uh-huh. We have a hand raised too, so. Okay, go ahead. Um, and then I'll say my little thing after. Okay, it's uh, Sandy. Okay, Sandy. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree with everything that, that you've been saying about um, that we, we will go, we'll go backwards if we aren't careful. And, you know, when I was younger, I'd look up to the older people, you know, that they were, they were visually impaired. And I'd say, well, you know, they'll do it. You know, they'll take care of it. But they're gone. And it's our turn. And if we don't follow their lead like they taught us to, you know, and advocate and stick up for ourselves because no one else is going to stick up for us. It's up to us. Um, Because it's, uh, we'll lose the privileges that they worked so hard to get for us back in their day. You know, because we are the lowest of the low incidence handicapping conditions. And a lot of states, including my state, they're in the fight with us now. The services for the blind or the visually impaired under the, the rehab are getting sucked into regular rehab uh, departments. Like uh, some of them are in DHS. You know, Department of Human Services or things of that nature. Um, my services for the blind has just been uh, put into Department of Workforce, and you know they're they're trying to suck us in to uh, the regular the regular rehab. You know that everybody else it has. You know the right. So that we wouldn't get blind services, we'd get things that everybody else, and maybe a, a very small part of what everybody else was getting. So, yeah, it's it's very important that we pay attention to what's going on, and alert our Congress people, whether it does any good or not. At least someone has said something. Yes, thank you, Sandy. Um, we have someone who just joined us that um, I am going to call on. Um, Bob, welcome to this discussion. And um, um, Bob Acosta was one of my mentors when I began um, in CCB. And he had basically broken through as the first um, blind teacher. And um, I don't know, was it in the LA um, school district or was it all of California? Or can you tell us a little bit about that, Bob? I was the first totally blind teacher to teach sighted youngsters in a regular classroom situation for the Los Angeles Unified School District which was the second largest school district and still is in the United States. So thank you so much, Christy, for 
mentioning my name here. And certainly um, I was then in the Federation when I got the job, but the California Council of the Blind and um, actually Bob Campbell and others um, for the um, uh, the um, ABC then, it was the ACB affiliate, also worked on getting a test case from the district and they found me. It's a long story. I won't give it. They found me and 37 years later, I walked out, retired. Thank you. And that's awesome. Well, don't go away yet, Bob. Um, because I'm not. Um, what I'm asking people is, um, when did you first join any movement of the blind? And um, I'm glad you're here because um, we're looking for history. We're looking for historians, for people who were around to help us to understand. And we've been talking about advocacy and how we're going to lose it if we don't get people um, involved and to know our history. I joined in 1957, tells you how old I was. I was 18. <laughs> and the only reason I did is because of the work of Dr. Isabel Grant. Dr. Grant was a, a, a blind a resource teacher of the blind. She was originally a vice principal, lost her vision, and the district said, go home. The same district I was in, LA Unified School District, said, go home and have tea parties. You're through. Well, they didn't know Dr. Grant. She went, she, she was blind, went to USC, learned Braille, got her credential, and started teaching rebels with a cause. She just, <laughs> I, she, I never had the privilege of being a student of hers, but I came to know her and very much respect her, especially when I tried to run, I did run finally for student president at my high school and was told, because you're blind, take you off the ballot. A blind man cannot be president of the student body, blind kid. And Dr. Grant led the charge and said, you will run. I didn't win. I was opposed by the principal, but I had a great time and uh, was active in student government. So Dr. Grant, we joined the student group. We were in the Federation then. This was 57. The Civil War had not occurred yet, but there was uh, tension. There was big over the card amendment uh, and so forth. And you can, we can talk about that. If you're reading the book, uh, people of vision, you're going to hear about the card amendment, but anyway, that's my story. And I joined and was active for a few years and then went off to teach school and wasn't as active and really got back in, in 67, uh, when, when the council got me my job, uh, I want to say one more thing. I was easy. I got a scholarship one of the first scholarships from the CCB, $150. And I always said, how can I pay them back? And I hope I have over the many years I've been in the council. Thank you. And so any scholarship recipients, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm going to write an article uh, for the BC, Bob, in an interview about that, if you don't mind. Um, I don't. Thank you. Yeah. So any other hands? And, and do we have a time check? Uh, the time is one forty-eight. and okay. Linda S. Okay, Linda. Hi. Um, so first of all, let me say, Bob, you've paid it over and over and over again. And I just 
love who you are, and I want to thank you for all the hard work you've put into ACB and CCB. Um, I knew Dr. Grant, and maybe Don remembers this. Um, Don and I used to work at the School for the Blind in Tijuana, and we did also a little bit of work for the school in Mexicali. And um, Dr. Grant was really instrumental in um, actually starting uh, services for the blind around the world, and she did help get those schools off the ground in Tijuana and in Mexicali. Um, she was a go-getter and a no-nonsense uh, person. And so I just wanted to mention that. That was like in the 70s. Well, you actually knew Isabel, Dr. Grant? Yes. That's cool. Yes, I did. Mary Beth. Okay, Mary Beth. Um, I just wanted to say that um, uh, Dr. Grant's book is available on BookShare, and um, I've downloaded it, but now that I'm, it's called, oh, wow, Crooked Ways Made Straight. I'm pretty sure it's about her trip around, uh, pretty well around the world, traveling around with a cane. Um, and now that I know she knows my friend, Bob Acosta, I'm going to move it out of the download pile and into the read pile. Thanks, Bob. Oh, cool. Okay, and I haven't read that book, and I'm going to read it. So thank you. And me too. <laughs> She's an amazing. Dr. Grant was not a good traveler, you know, and when she'd go to the other parts of the world, they'd grab the end of her cane, <gasps> the uh, the bellboys or whatever, and lead her. <laughs> and, of course, her big meeting, Christian all, was with Haile Selassie, the Lion of Judah of Ethiopia. He was a uh -huh. champion in World War II and fighting the Italians and so forth. And um, she bawled him out. She says, you're not doing enough for blind um, people and especially women. She was a champion of women's rights. And he, she yelled at him and he finally, she was going to leave. And he said, lady, lady, here. And he gave her a beautiful piece of jewelry, a pendant for her. And I said, Dr. Grant, how could you yell at him? Because that was my only chance to get to him. And that's the kind of woman uh, she was. She was. I remember hearing her speak. And she was instrumental, wasn't she? One of the instrumental people in starting the World Blind Union. I don't, I don't yeah. know. But yeah. I, I just remember hearing her when I was a, a baby. At first, it was the, <laughs> International, the Feder International Federation of the Blind. Rienzi Alagayawana, principal um, in one, I forget the country. And then the, the World Blind Union came up, of course, and is here today. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, and I know uh, Mitch Pomerantz is really active in the World Blind Union. So, yes. I'm going to try to get him to. And was a give student of Dr. Grant. Oh, and yeah, I that's was right. A student of Dr. Grant also. I, yes. Yes, most definitely. Okay, well, we are just about ready to wind up another hour. We have uh, an, about eight minutes, so I would like to know if there are any questions, comments, and um, ask you all, please, please read Chapter 1. It's about 90 minutes of reading, um, and uh, when is the it, next meeting of this group? It's next week, same time, oh, same oh, station. Oh God. Okay. 
10 o'clock or whatever it is. Hurry up. <laughs> One in the east. Can I make a quick comment while sure. we're doing the hands thing? Sure. I just looked up the Isabel Grant book on, on Bookshare. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's Crooked Paths Made Straight, A Blind Teacher's Adventures Traveling Around the World, but it's listed under Deborah Kent. I just wanted Deborah you guys Kent. to know that because I looked up oh. Deborah Kent. Deborah Kent. Um, yeah. Okay. As you know, okay. Deborah Kent, you. you know, she's an NFB okay. member. Yeah, um, yeah. Blind writer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, since, since, like I said, I downloaded it, I didn't read it, I can't tell you why. She probably wrote the foreword or something. Hmm. And it's not on Bard? Dr. No. Dr. Grant always said, I only, I only take orders from Chick Tenbrook, none of these other people. She right. respected Dr. <laughs> Tenbrook, but right. the rest of them. <laughs> I was going to tell you guys <clears throat> that growing up, I knew one person um, Mrs. Valencia, I never knew her first name. I met her a couple of times. Um, I didn't really, I just knew that she was blind. That's all I knew. Then when I was seven years old, uh, I met Harry and Olga Steinmetz. And um, oh, so nice. they were pretty involved mm-hmm. in my life. And um, they taught me the Catholic catechism and I became Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, and so, uh, uh, among those people, I didn't know any other blind adults for a long time. And then, um, my next door neighbor had an aunt Rosie from Mexico who was blind and, um, she came, but you know, I really never got to talk to her because she spoke Spanish, but I, I saw at the age of like seven five, six, and seven, that she was pretty um, dependent and she didn't use a cane or anything. So that was my vision of blind people growing up. So it wasn't until I became a, a freshman in college and, and won a CCB scholarship and met Al Gill, and then my world really opened up. So I want to help to open up your world please invite people to come um we will have this recorded um and um so people can listen to the recordings and please invite people to come next week ask them to read chapter one part one chapter one and uh we'll be meeting next week so I thank you all for coming. Thank you, Diana. And thank you, John, for, um, I, I don't know if you recorded, but I know you were going to, but thank you, Diana, for recording this meeting. Thank you.